Church of Christ presents Repairers of the Breach, the sermon by the Reverend Jane Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, September 22nd, 2019. Offer your food to the hungry, satisfy the needs of the afflicted, and your light shall rise in the darkness. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places. Call the Sabbath a delight. Honor it. Set aside your own interests and take delight in God. Sabbath and delight are not ideas that necessarily flow together in our culture, are they? Sabbath keeping in general, whether delightful or not, is not something that seems to come naturally to us in American culture. There are pockets of Sabbath keepers, of course, Many Jewish communities, the Amish and Old Order Mennonites are quite good at it. Some whole communities in the rural South. I may have told you the story of how offended our parishioners in rural Virginia were when David would go home after church, after he preached, and he would hop on the riding mower that went with the parsonage. It's the only one he'd ever had access to, and he loved that thing. One older gentleman showed up at our door to beg David to please, please stop breaking the Sabbath. He promised to come cut the lawn himself on Monday, but please, Pastor, the Methodists are starting to talk. (laughs) But mostly, no matter where you are in the country, stopping for Sabbath is hard. There are errands to run and weeds to be pulled, laundry and email to be caught up on. Maybe I'm only talking about myself and you all are devout and grace-filled Sabbath takers. But to be fair to those of us who do struggle with it, who struggle with just how to keep the Sabbath, this has been a point of discussion and dispute as long as the command has been given. In the first recording we have of the commandments, a reason is given for this one. The reason to rest is that God, in six days, God created, and on the seventh day, God rested. So too, humanity should rest. Stopping for Sabbath rest is woven right into the fabric of creation. And for people to thrive, we also need to rest. Here's how the commandment is recorded later in the book of Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, that is, set apart, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, a stopping. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant, not your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 
Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In this second version, the reminder is that the Sabbath is for everyone, not just the landowner, but every worker who toils on that land, not just the business owner, but every worker down to the most entry level shall be allowed to set their work down for a day, for the delight of the Sabbath. And God reminds the people, your ancestors were in Egypt. You've heard the stories and you know what it was like to work without ceasing and with no option. Do it my way. The Sabbath is for everyone. It's really quite subversive. But of course, a lot hinges on how you define work. In the farming community where David's first parish was located, riding around on anything remotely similar to a farm machine for any reason, clearly work. In David's mind, riding around on a riding mower instead of sitting at a computer or with his head in a book, clearly play. Nevertheless, given the message it gave to the community, he gave it up. This conversation about how to keep Sabbath was many generations old in Jesus' day, and details had been decided upon, based on the premise that the Sabbath was a gift for human flourishing, one that should be carefully, even minutely observed, so as not to reject the gift. No business, no farm work, no housework, no cooking. Food could be elaborate and celebratory, but it had to be prepared ahead of time, had to be leftovers. Of course, there were nuances. If you had a long illness that required taking medicinal herbs, you were expected to grind those herbs the day before in preparation for the Sabbath. But if you had a sudden sickness and you could not wait, grinding herbs on the Sabbath was of course permitted. According to the Orthodox Jewish scholars I read, where life is in danger, the Sabbath may be violated in any manner necessary. The sages teach that it is better to violate one Sabbath in order that another person may live to keep many Sabbaths. You could not do the work of untying your donkey to carry things for you or to lead it to work, but you could, of course, do the work of untying your donkey to lead it to water because every living thing should continue to flourish on the Sabbath. When Jesus went to the synagogue to teach on that Sabbath and healed the bent-over woman, he didn't do it to break the Sabbath, but to enter into that long dialogue about what it means to keep the Sabbath well. He kept Sabbath by healing a woman who had been bent over for 18 years. Eight long years of not being able to straighten her back. I imagine her bent. I imagine the accommodations she made to her condition, the tilt of her head to make eye contact, the rearrangement of things in her home so that she could reach them, in her kitchen, at her sewing. I wonder if there was some traditional women's labor that her bent back prevented her from doing like gathering water, or if she developed her own unique way of carrying that heavy load. 
I wonder if her neighbors kindly stepped in to lift and reach for her. If they knew just how to sit beside her in the way that would make it possible for her to make eye contact and be one of them. I wonder if in the rush of life, she ever got left out of conversation, which took place above her, bent over as she was. And if that meant that she heard things that only the quiet hear, a tone of voice or a pattern of repetition that the speakers themselves were unaware of, giving the bent over woman a deep understanding of the people around her. They might have been surprised to know all that she knew. And perhaps it gave her a deep compassion. I wonder if her bent over perspective made her more attentive to the footprints her neighbors left in the dust of the path. So she knew their comings and goings. If she noticed when her neighbor's shoes were getting worn a bit too thin, when their feet in their sandals looked like they hadn't received the gentle care feet need. Of course, the text doesn't tell us any of that. It doesn't tell us about her struggles, her accommodations, or about the surprising wholeness her unique life held. It only tells us that she straightened up at Jesus's touch and words of liberation and began praising God. The Sabbath is meant for a blessing, for liberation and peace and human flourishing. Jesus was in a dispute with the leader of that synagogue about the best way to keep the Sabbath, not about whether to keep it. In another place in Luke, the author points out that people were coming from all over to Jesus for healing, and they were coming after sundown, after the end of the Sabbath. But with so much standing there, so much need standing there in front of him on that day, Jesus broke tradition and set her free. Now, tradition can be a good and healthful thing, the way to capture what is best in a family, a community, or a faith tradition. But tradition is the container and not the thing itself. We once had a Christmas tradition in our family, the Christmas clock. We would put it in the boys' room, and it had a bright neon sticker where the big hand had to reach and the little hand had to reach before the boys were allowed to come wake us up. It was a great tradition for a while. But then, of course, our children became teenagers, and the tradition flipped, and the Christmas clock came into our room, and we had to wait till the big hand and the little hand reached the bright dots before we were allowed to wake our surly teenagers. <laughs> There's an old story about a holy man, a monk, whose meditation and prayer were so deep and profound that many younger monks and novices especially longed to be in his presence for prayer. They flocked to him. He was indeed a holy man. But he was also a cat owner. And his cat loved to follow this gentle and kind man everywhere he went, even into the chapel, where she would wind her way around his feet and up into his lap and down again, where he sat to play. Pewing, mewing plaintively the whole while. Finally, one day, to keep her from interrupting the novice monks, he tied her to the altar. She didn't like it a lot, but she got used to it. And finally, it became so much of a habit 
that when they entered the chapel, she would go directly to her place under the altar and sit and wait till the old man tied her to it. Years went over, novices came and went, and finally the old man died and was gathered to his ancestors, and his body was laid to rest. A few years later, his beloved cat died, and her small body was laid in the earth. And immediately, the monks said in chapter, someone is going to have to go into the village and get a new cat. Our prayers can't happen without one. We always have a cat tied to the altar. It's tradition. I wonder if you, in your own life, have traditions which were created to protect or transmit something of value, but which are now just the way we do things, with no connection to the why of how you do things. I wonder if we, as a community, have any traditions like that. I wonder if there are traditions that we have that someone new to our community might find as opaque as tying a cat to the altar before settling into prayer. Now, I invite those of you who have been part of this community for a while to do a thought experiment. Next week, as you leave the house, I encourage you to imagine that you are traveling to Kairos for the very first time. What do you notice as you arrive? What do you see and hear? What do you notice about the way we sing and pray and talk together over the course of the morning? What, what is delightful to you all over again? And is there anything that you wonder about that was in place already when you got here, so you accepted it and never asked, but you secretly wish you could? If you are newer to Kairos, I hope you'll come back next week and share what you see and hear and notice. Because next week we will have a facilitated conversation at coffee hour about what things rose up for us. And I hope if you are newer, you will tell us, lovingly, what made you feel welcome and if there was anything that made you feel nonplussed or left out. So that's my request and the invitation for next week. But there's some more. There are two things that we have inherited from the ancient Jewish, Jewish tradition of Jesus that I cling to. According to the reading from Isaiah, the Sabbath is meant to be delightful, a joy and a gift, a day on which striving and proving oneself in the world of work, where competing and giving or taking work assignments, orders, ceases, a day when the hierarchies that we often pretend to ourselves don't exist in our culture really should be erased. Now, I don't want to lecture anyone who must work on Sundays. You and I alike might have to make some accommodation and set another day aside to observe the pause of Holy Sabbath. Which leads me to the second thing. The idea of Sabbath is woven together with the idea of God's justice. The Sabbath becomes a delight when the people let go of their own projects and plans, when they trust to God to provide. Our passage from Isaiah comes to us from the period after the exile, when the people returned from Babylon to Judah. Several generations had been born in that long captivity. They had intermarried 
They'd lost some connection to their tradition. And when the people got back to the land, nothing was as they thought it would be. Nothing looked the same as the stories that the older people had told them about the good old days. The city was still in a mess. The fields had gone out of cultivation, and the temple was in ruins. So the people looked back to those half-forgotten traditions, and they held them tight. They held fast days and prayer days, and they cried out to God and wondered why they still struggled, why God didn't respond. They fasted longer, and they prayed harder. And God said, you have held on to the container. The prayers and fasts are meant to help you focus your spirit on God and your mind on the needs of your neighbor. And you have forgotten the heart of the tradition, which is the care for the needy and delight in God. So offer food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, and you will hear me guiding you. Your light will shine in the darkness, and your gloom will be like noonday. Your bones will be strong. You'll be like a watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. Satisfy the needs of the afflicted, and you will be the repairers of the breach. You'll be the restorers of streets that are safe to live in. So this is your second and your third invitation for this week. I invite you on whatever day you keep Sabbath to push back a little more of your busyness, to pause and breathe. Be at ease if you can, but also alert to delight, to God's presence in creation, to the love between people in your family and friend circle. Allow your busy mind to rest and gratitude to rise up. And then this week, I invite you to pay attention to the hungry and homeless and afflicted people that you pass during your days. See if there is anyone you can meet instead of passing. See if you can feed them. Maybe for some of you, this will mean getting or staying in the habit of keeping protein bars and apples in your car and giving to someone who is on the side of the road. Maybe for some of you, it will mean volunteering someplace where people are being fed. I personally like Clay Street Table, but that's because I know how to get there. Or maybe for some of you, it will mean something as simple as making some sandwiches from whatever is in your cupboard and packing some brown bag lunches and then going to where you know people are hurting and asking simply, have you eaten today? Would you like a lunch? It won't be enough to solve the problem of hunger and homelessness in Portland, much less the wave of poverty in our country. But the nearer we draw to our neighbors who are under affliction, the more clearly we will be able to hear God guiding us. The more of our own food we give to someone who is hungry, the more we will feel God's spirit springing up inside us like living water. The more we are face to face with the poor, the more motivated we will be to work and pray and vote in ways that promote a more just society. Because we will know deep in our bones that we are all part of the fabric of life 
all invited to that palace in time that is called Sabbath. Every one of us made for plenty and delight. Listen, listen, listen.